reading this morning. And if you need a Bible, raise your hand. Someone on our team would love to come around and make sure you have one of those. Also, feel free to take that with you. That's our gift to you if you are in need. Welcome of a physical copy of the Bible. As that's happening, I um, just want to say again, welcome uh, to Discovery. My name is Steve. I'm the lead pastor here. And it's great to be together uh, always, but I think especially during this season as we are working on articulating who we are and what we're all about as a church. I think this is a really fun time, and I'm really excited about the conversation that's being generated uh, right now in, uh, in this series. Before we get into this, though, I just want to uh, give you two quick updates uh, about some things. So this last Sunday, we had an opportunity to hear from Rolly, who was just up here leading worship. Uh, the news that he and his family are going to be moving uh, to Arizona to lead worship at a church down there. And so uh, a couple things that I wanted to say about that. One is that we are bummed, obviously, to have to say goodbye uh, to someone, and especially someone who we love and who's been such an instrumental part uh, of leading and serving at this church. But I also want to say, and I've seen this happen already in the last week, just the, the outpouring of uh, kindness and words of affirmation for Rolly and Danny and their family. They have been such a blessing to Discovery. It is an understatement to say that we would not be here this morning if not for their leadership. And so I just want to continue to encourage you guys to do that. Keep doing that. Let's bless them and send them out really well. We still have uh, some time with them through the end of the year. And so in the time between now and then, let's uh, launch them out into their next adventure uh, as best we can. So uh, I just want to say thank you for doing that. And again, if you have questions about the process as we move forward, always feel free to ask. Other thing I wanted to tell you a little bit about is this. We're also in a season here in the fall where this is kind of a, a starting point or a relaunching point for our discovery groups, our, our small groups, so important to the life of our church. This is where we uh, meet together in homes and we get to know each other more deeply and we really process together what does it mean to follow Jesus in this place at this time, whatever that might look like for you. We launched a new group this last week. Kyle, who was just up here uh, during announcements, is one of the leaders of that group and they started on Tuesday night with 15 people, which is amazing, um, a huge win for our church. You guys can clap for that. It's okay. <laughs> Uh, and, and, I mean, they already have to start thinking about multiplying, but uh, that's, that's sort of a joke. But just a really cool thing to see how that is uh, going so far. Um, uh, just a, a really cool win for our community. All right, let's pray, and then we'll get into this. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for what you are doing in and through Discovery, that we get to be a part of it, that we're not just passive observers that we are co-conspirators, co-participants in the building of your kingdom in this place. We're grateful that you invite us into a whole different way of living. Help us now to continue naming that and owning that, what it looks like to do that here at Discovery in Davis in this particular moment uh, in time. God, I pray that this would be a church where we can be real and we can be honest with each other about what is going on and just where we're at as we pursue you together. We pray that we would grow in that way, even beginning this morning. Um, and we pray all this today in Jesus' name. Amen. 
All right, again, uh, we're going to be in Luke 15. Before we get to that, just a couple things to, to set us up and remind us about where we are. This is week two of a new series called Our Kind of Crazy, which is our tongue-in-cheek way of talking about culture. We defined culture last week as a shared way of doing something with a passion. Culture is a shared way of doing something with a passion. And for us here at Discovery, our something is this mission helping people discover the good news of Jesus. This is who we are, what we want to be about. And a lot of the language in that mission statement comes from the time that we spent in the Gospel of Matthew. We spent 40 weeks uh, making our way through Matthew, looking at the person of Jesus. And, and um, again, I don't really like to you know, plug these things, but if you go back a couple weeks and, and revisit the last teaching in that series, that's a lot about who we are when it comes to our, our mission, helping people discover the good news of Jesus. Now our dream, our big vision, is that our mission would lead us to become a multiplying church that plants multiplying churches. This is a, a, a big dream, kind of a, a, an audacious dream. And I think sometimes we hear things like that and we're like, oh my goodness, how can we ever do something like that? So what we're doing here in this series is we're really dialing it back and, and looking at what are some of the smaller steps that we need to be taking in order to get there. So part one of this series is a conversation about our core values, our four core values. We looked at the first one of those last Sunday, relationships, the truth that we are better together. And today, our second value embodied by that word authenticity. And again, you heard Steve and Crystal say a little bit about it in the video that set us up here. Now, authenticity is a word that gets tossed around a lot. And it's interesting, right, in our, our moment today, I think it's a word that comes up a lot inside and outside the church. Our current cultural climate is defined by virtual reality and fake news. And there's just, I think there is this deep desire for things that are real. And yet at the same time, there's also, I think, a lot of confusion about what authenticity is. What does it mean? How do we know when something is real? Now, each of our core values, I think, has deep resonance with universal human needs. And again, this quest for authenticity, for something real, is a very, very human quest. A month or so ago, uh, I don't know if you guys saw this or experienced this, but the really big deal in our country was Popeye's new chicken sandwich. Okay, you guys experience this, hear this, taste one of these? <laughs> Now, the whole idea here for Popeye's was to get into the market with Chick-fil-A and KFC. Uh, but this thing became like a huge deal. It was wildly successful. And then part of the story is they ran out of them. And, and the shortage caused this big um, outrage. People were like, oh, what, what am I going to do without my Popeye's chicken sandwich? So this was, this was going on a couple weeks ago, and, and, you know, different news outlets caught wind of it. Time Magazine did an article on it, and I just read this article this week. And it's interesting. In, in the article, they asked the question, of course, why was this such a big deal? Why was the Popeye's chicken sandwich a phenomenon in our cultural moment? And they asked this question of a guy named Adam Chandler. He's the author of a book called drive Through Dreams. He looks at these sorts of trends. Look at what he says. He says, in the age of gimmicky, brightly colored, Instagram-friendly food items, there is also a literal and spiritual hunger for something relatable and real. 
he's talking about a chicken sandwich. And yet, there's a deep resonance with what he is saying. We have this literal and spiritual hunger for something relatable and real. I think we all feel this. The reason authenticity is a stated value at discovery is because the journey, the process that Jesus invites us into is the process of becoming more real, more human, more alive, more you, your true self. But we've also seen how our values, they have deep resonance, right, with, with uh, uh, human needs and desires, but they also subvert our culture in many ways. And the journey towards authenticity that Jesus invites us into is very different. We're going to find that authenticity in his kingdom is very different than what we are told by the broader culture. So this morning what we're going to do is explore for a few moments Jesus' path to authenticity and then talk about why this is such a core value for us at Discovery. So Luke chapter 15 is where we are this morning. The um, chapter begins like this, and this is a little bit of background, backdrop to where we're going to spend most of our time. So verse 1 says this, Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. Now Luke 15 is right in the middle of the story, as Luke tells it, of of Jesus' life. But this is not a new phenomenon for Jesus. You go all the way back to Luke chapter 5 and we read this. Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him, and Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. So Jesus, not just hanging out with tax collectors and sinners, actually inviting one of them to be on his core team. Levi held a great banquet, invited all of his friends for Jesus to his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. Notorious sinners are Jesus' kinds of people. But here's the thing. Every time Jesus hangs out with these folks, the super religious people of his day get very frustrated with him. Luke chapter 5, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to Jesus' disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And then back to Luke chapter 15, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Complaining, grumbling, muttering. I don't know if you guys saw this, there was some social media muttering this past week over the fact that Ellen DeGeneres went to a Cowboys game and sat next to George W. Bush. Anybody see this? Uh, By the way, her response to all of this is brilliant. If you haven't seen it, it's a little viral video going around out there. You should check that out at some point. What's fascinating to me about it is this. It doesn't matter how you slice society. There's always going to be these lines that we draw. And when you cross those lines, people are going to complain. They're going to mutter about it. And, and, And what's interesting about this for us as a church is that we have said Part of our vision, this desire to be a multiplying church, the the image that helps us think about this is the image of a bridge, right? We want to be bridge builders. To be bridge builders is going to require that we cross some lines. And when we cross some lines, there's going to be some pushback to that, some grumbling, some muttering, 
and some complaining. Now, whatever the outrage was about Ellen, imagine that many times, multiplied many times over, and that's how the religious leadership of Jesus' day felt about him as a rabbi, as this supposedly respected teacher hanging out with these scumbags, to use the language of the New Living Translation. Now, this, this is a, sort of a, an aside, but I think a very, very important truth for us. As we pursue our mission, as we build bridges, when you take seriously the call to help people discover the good news of Jesus, you will spend more time with people who need good news. And this will always draw the ire, the frustration. It will bring some criticism back at you from religious, churchy people. Oh, you're spending too much time over there. You're spending too much time with those people. Those are some of your best friends. You will hear this sort of feedback. And, and quite frankly, I think one of the ways that we can know we are on the right track with our mission is we start to hear some of that. That's actually a good sign. Now, back to Luke chapter 15. Jesus hanging out with notorious sinners. The religious people are complaining. And so his response to this is to tell three stories. And the last of which is probably his most famous story. So let's skip down to verse 11 of chapter 15. The story begins like this. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. There's a lot left unsaid in that little phrase, right? After he had spent everything, uh, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and yet here I am starving to death. Now we're going to pause there for a moment. And this again, one of Jesus' most famous stories. There is so much going on in the story that we could talk about. Layers upon layers upon layers of things to unpack here. But this morning, we're going to look at this through the lens of authenticity. And again, this path towards authenticity that Jesus invites us on. So we know we are on the path towards becoming an authentic person when we begin to deal with reality. When we begin to deal with reality. The younger son in this story does a horrible thing. He rejects his family. He more or less tells his dad that, hey, I wish you were dead. Give me all of my stuff that I, that I would inherit if you were dead, and, and then I'm out of here. Now, in the shame-honor dynamic of the culture of the first century Palestine, this was deeply shameful, and, and it would have brought great dishonor on the family and the son. And, and then maybe the most scandalous part here is that the father goes along with it. He, he lets the boy have what he wants, and then he lets him take off with it. Now what happens is that for a while, and we don't really know how long it is, could have been months, could have been years, the son 
basically leads a fantasy life. Sort of your like brotastic um, fantasy of what the good life is, right? Wild living, parties, girls, whatever he wants, whenever he wants it. By the way, this is one of the, the ways in which our culture defines authenticity. The ability to do whatever you want whenever you want to. Self-denial, self-discipline seen as the antithesis of authenticity. But the problem here is that it's not real. Right? Nothing about this is sustainable. Now, another sort of aside here. We're not going to spend a ton of time this morning talking about the older brother. But the older brother is such an important character in this story. The older brother represents the religious people who are complaining about the company that Jesus keeps. And again, I'm kind of picking on the younger brother here a little bit uh, in, in terms of the ways that he runs off and leads this fantasy life. It's very easy to lead a fantasy life inside of church. And sometimes church is the easiest place to not deal with what is real and what is true. So we need to name that part of this as well. The first big hinge point in the story, though, comes in verse 17, this little phrase, when he came to his senses. When he came to his senses, for the first time, he wakes up to the reality that, oh my goodness, I'm far from home, I'm starving to death, I have no money, I have nothing. Even my father's servants have it better off than I do. He tells the truth. Right? He names what is real. This is the ancient spiritual practice of confession. Confession is telling the truth. Later on in the New Testament, we read, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Sometimes this is treated almost like a magic formula. Do these two things and all of your problems will go away. But what James, the author here, is saying is that you cannot become whole. You cannot be healed. You cannot be an authentic person and be hanging on to lies. Begins by telling the truth. One of my favorite C.S. Lewis quotes, no man who bothers about originality, and you can substitute authenticity in there for originality, no one who bothers about originality will ever be original, whereas if you simply try to tell the truth, you will nine times out of ten become original without ever having noticed it. We're on the path towards authenticity when we begin to tell the truth. Now continuing on in verse 18, the son says, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. After we begin to deal with reality, we then are faced with a choice. Will we continue to do what we've been doing? Will we continue to pursue this fantasy life? Or will we move in a new direction? The next step here is to choose a new direction. And the good news is that Jesus came to offer us a new direction, a whole different way of being and living. Luke chapter 5, after all of that complaining, Jesus says, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. 
This word repentance, this is the spiritual practice of choosing a new direction. In the Greek, the word for repent is metanoia, which literally means to change your mind. And in Hebrew, I love this word in the Hebrew, it's the word teshuva, and it means to turn around. It's this idea that I'm going in a particular direction and I realize, "Uh uh-oh, I've gone the wrong way. And there's this like recalculating moment, right? I need to turn and head in a new direction. So authenticity, it begins by telling the truth and then it starts to grow when we turn around and head in a different direction. And then we really start to get somewhere when we head home towards the Father. Verse 20 Well, he was still a long way off. His father saw him and was filled with compassion for his son. And so he runs to his son, throws his arms around him, and kissed him. And the son goes into his little speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they had a party. Now this whole story. The whole story is just wildly scandalous. It flew in the face of deeply held cultural values back then, and I think it's still a very stark contrast to our culture today, even 2,000 years later. First, you have the son. Okay, the son who has the audacity to go home. I mean, you really think about it, he has nothing left, right? And so it makes sense that he would go back and and see what would happen. But even though he comes back humbled, even though he comes back confessing, I've sinned against you, make me a slave, this is a bold move. His dad had every right to tell him to kick rocks or even to kill him. Bold move by the son. And then for the father, again, the most scandalous character in the story is the father. For the father to not make him pay it all back, earn his way back in, or again, to just end it right there. For the father to show compassion, to welcome his son home, to hug his son. The text says that when he saw him a long ways off, he ran after him, which means he was waiting for this moment. And then there's this party and a robe and a ring and the fattened calf. I mean, it's just way over the top. But this is the third step on the path towards authenticity. It's to come home. It's not just to pick any particular new direction. It's to come back to your true father, to your true home. This is the good news of Jesus. There is a way home now because of who Jesus is and what he has done. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my father as well. Now, sometimes this particular verse gets interpreted as being narrow-minded or uh, um, exclusive. But I think it actually brings us back to step one, dealing with reality. This is not about excluding people. This is an invitation to come back to your true home, back where we belong. At home, in right relationship with God, we become more human 
more alive, more us. To become an authentic person, you must be near Jesus. You must spend time with Jesus. When we do, this is what Jesus calls the abundant life. The party we see in Luke 15 is abundant. Over the top. The story is oftentimes called the prodigal son. Prodigal means to spend until you have nothing left. Tim Keller writes, though, this term prodigal is as appropriate for describing the father in the story as his younger son. The father's welcome to the repentant son was literally reckless because he refused to reckon or count his sin against him or demand repayment. In this story, the father represents the heavenly father Jesus knew so well. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not reckoning to them their trespasses. Jesus is showing us the God of great expenditure who is nothing if not prodigal towards us, his children. God's reckless grace is our greatest hope. God's reckless grace is our greatest hope. This is good news. And the response, the practice here is to receive it. To accept the Father's forgiveness. To run into that bear hug of compassion and love. Now once we have received this forgiveness, we get to the final part of the path. And to illustrate this, I think we need to go to another part of the Gospel of Luke. So turn with me to Luke chapter 7. Another wonderful story that I think brings this all home for us. Luke chapter 7 verse 36 When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, and so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Here again, we see Jesus building a bridge, right, between these two worlds, the irreligious and the religious. She stood behind him at his feet weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, grumbling and muttering, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. 
The other guests who began to say among themselves, who is this? Who even forgives sins? And Jesus says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The final step on the path towards authenticity is to experience transformation. This is where once again, Jesus and his kingdom are so subversive, so countercultural. The broader culture says, you are fine the way you are. It's the, everyone else is the problem. Just be yourself. Everyone else needs to accept you for who you are. That's what it means to be authentic. And there's a little bit of truth to that. But Jesus looks at you and says, oh, there is so much more here. There is so much more here. Let me transform you from the inside out. And we see this whole process unfold in this scene with the woman. We see dealing with the truth. We see the grumbling of the religious people. We see the choosing of a new direction, receiving forgiveness, and then her transformation. Receiving God's forgiveness leads to us being transformed, leads to us becoming more and more like Jesus, which is to say more in love with God and with people, more compassionately in tune with those who need good news. The more alive, the more real, the more authentically you, you become, the deeper you will be drawn into God's mission. And this brings us to our, our hashtag. Remember, each of our values has a hashtag that sort of helps illuminate the idea. The hashtag here is church for the rest of us. This is a bit of a mouthful. If you're trying to type it into your phone, I apologize. It's very long. <laughs> it's also one, though, that we get some pushback on because there's this, like, uh, isn't church supposed to be for everybody question that comes up with us. And the answer to that is, yes, of course, church is for everyone. But there is a, a, a reason we are so explicit about this. And it's because we want to be more like Jesus. Jesus, certainly, it was and is for everyone. But he was especially for those who owed 500 denarii, to go back to that story that he, that he told there. Jesus hung out with people for whom the religious system was not working. Church was not working for them. The excluded, the marginalized, the outcast, the notorious sinners of his day. He was drawn to them and they were drawn to him. Shared a couple of weeks ago the stat 23% and talked about how that represents the fastest growing segment of spiritual affiliation in the United States. One out of four Americans now identifies as nothing when it comes to spirituality. And I think this is in large part because, not the only reason, but I think it's largely due to the fact that the typical church system is not working for them. It's been too exclusive, too hypocritical, too political, too older brother-ish. Right? The older brother who is angry that his younger brother is welcomed home and thrown a party. That's how way too many people have experienced church. So we explicitly and intentionally say church for the rest of us. 
Because if you have been burned by church, if you have been excluded or rejected, we want this place to be good news for you. We want you to be able to find your way home here. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, Jesus says. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. As we get closer to Jesus, that proximity will draw us towards those who need Jesus. This is the practice of mission. When uh, Amy and I were living in Boston, we, we led a group, the first group actually that we led together as a married couple. That was a church for the rest of us group. <clears throat> there were so many characters and so many interesting stories from that group. One of my favorite, though, is our friend Kate. Kate grew up in a staunchly atheist home. And uh, she graduated from college and had moved back in uh, to her parents' house to try to figure out what she was going to do with her life. And, and um, right at that moment, met a boy who was coming to our church. And so she started coming, and especially coming to our group that met in the middle of the week. And my favorite part of her story is that she would sneak out of her parents' house to go to church and to go to group. And I just think, ooh, like that. there's something there, right? This is who we want to be as a church. If you are an atheist sneaking around trying to find answers, what a great place to be. We want you here. I've shared before about my friend Kevin. Kevin's my friend from Oakland. Young man who identifies as gay, who's, who's wrestling through these big questions of identity and faith and how all of that works. He writes me um, several letters a month. I do my best to keep up, but I fail pretty miserably. He's way more <laughs> prolific than I am. But when Kevin talks about experiencing the presence of Jesus through our friendship, that to me, that's church for the rest of us. Discovery is for you. If you have questions, doubts, if you are seeking something, if you are wrestling through these really big issues in your life, this is the place to be. Come join the party here. We want you here. Steve and Crystal, who you got to hear a, a little bit of their story in the video, so honest and real. Get to know them a little bit better. Take them out to coffee. I want to put you guys on the spot. Sorry about that. But uh, what a great example of what it looks like to be honest and real about where they're at. Again, this is why we exist as a church, for the Kates and the Kevins, the Steves and the Crystals, for me and for you. To experience good news. Your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. Now, each of our values, each week we have a challenge that goes along with this conversation. The challenge today is pretty simple. It's to take a hard, honest, truthful look at where you are in this process. Where are you on this path towards authenticity? Are you living in a fantasy? Denying some truth. Do you need to name that truth? Do you need to begin the process of telling the truth? Step one. Are you stuck? You see the same cycles repeating over and over again in your life. Do you need to choose a new direction? Do you need to repent of something so you can move towards Jesus? Step two. Do you need to receive forgiveness? Have you been 
sort of circling around those arms of compassion and love, and you just need to step into that embrace. Receiving God's forgiveness, step three. And then the last part, transformation. We don't get to make this happen. God does this for us. But as we are transformed, we are, uh, again, we grow in our love and compassion for others. And so who is God asking you to love? What bridge do you need to build? Who needs good news in your life and how can you share that with them, even in some small, tangible way this week? Where are you in that process? Name it. Be honest about it. Tell the truth. And then have a conversation with God about what comes next. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we, we just want to move through that today. We begin by confessing. Telling the truth about where we are. And for some of us, that might not be anywhere near what your heart and desire is. Would you help us to be honest about that? Some of us then, God, we need to repent. We need to turn. We need to head in a new direction. We're stuck somewhere repeating the same cycles over and over again. Help us to break out of that by telling the truth about it and moving in a new direction. Some of us, God, we need to accept your forgiveness, receive your forgiveness for us. Maybe even for the first time this morning. Maybe we need to receive it again, be reminded again of how much you love us, how you have been looking for us, calling us home. And then some of us, God, we need to take those steps towards people who need good news. Help us to grow in our capacity for love and compassion for those who are in desperate need of good news. Father, we thank you for Jesus, all that he has done on our behalf, his death and his resurrection, which have made it possible for us to come home. We are so grateful for this. We pray this this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to close the way we do every week. The highlight of our gathering together is this moment called communion where we share this very simple but deeply symbolic meal. Just a simple piece of bread, a little bit of juice. That reminds us every time we come to this table, week, in, week after week, it reminds us of what Jesus has done on our behalf, the lengths that he has gone through. His body broken and poured out for us that we might be in right relationship with God, that we can come home to his embrace and that we can grow in our capacity uh, to love and extend compassion to others. The way that this works here, there's four stations around the theater. We're going to take a few moments here uh, as the band plays to just reflect uh, on what we've heard this morning. Again, take a moment to have an honest conversation about where you are. And what do you need to do? Confess, repent, receive forgiveness, experience transformation. And then when you're ready, you can come and take those elements with us. Uh, there are some uh, folks who are willing to pray with you. They'll be around the theater here on either uh, side, I believe. And if you want to pray about anything we've talked about today or anything else that's going on in your life right now, we'd love to pray with you this morning. But again, when you're ready, let's take communion together.